During the end of chapter 12 and this string of debates between religious leaders and Jesus in the temple. And last Sunday, Tom gave a really thought-provoking and incredible sermon on this beautiful place where, where scripture on the page are met with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the power of God and how they're both so necessary. Um, and Jesus is schooling the religious leaders on what it actually, what is actually most important versus what they have made the most important. And this passage of scripture that we're gonna be in today falls right in line with that pattern. So if you've never read the Bible before on your own, or whether you've read this thing cover to cover numerous times, either one today works because we're all about to get on the same page. Because in Mark 12, 28 through 34, Jesus offers us cliff notes that sums up the entire Bible in what we're going to call this morning the double law of love. Uh, Let's pray. God, we thank you for the places that you've already visited us this morning and for the ways that you have um, opened our hearts and minds. And so we just, we just ask, especially in this time, that you would bring scripture to life. We pray for revelation and we pray for um, that spot between where these are words on a page and where the power of your Holy Spirit come and they reveal some kingdom thing. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm gonna read Mark 12, 28 through 34, and you'll see it on the screen here. One of the scribes heard them talking. When he saw that Jesus gave them a good answer, then he came and asked, which law is the greatest law of all? Jesus answered, the greatest one is, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind and love him with all your strength. The second law is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. No law is greater than these laws. Then the scribe answered Jesus, teacher, what you say is right. There is one God. There are no other gods. Love God with all your heart, love him with all your understanding, love him with all your strength. That is much better than to burn offerings and make sacrifices. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is better than, okay, I read this wrong. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than any burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus saw that the scribe was wise, so he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, everyone feared to ask him any more questions. Over the last few weeks, we have seen the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders all make their way into chapter 12, debating Jesus, trying to pin him in a corner and get him arrested and murdered. Now enter a scribe. This is the person asking the question here. And this is someone who knows the law and sacred writings back to front and would have had the job of handwriting and preparing copies of Israel's sacred texts and literature to parchment paper. All of these different groups of men that we see in this chapter are what forms what we can identify as a Sanhedrin, the elites. 
And the Sanhedrin likely operated under some sort of Roman oversight. And not everyone in this group agreed with one another in the event, but they oversaw it all. In the event of a decision impasse, it was a chief priest that would settle the tiebreaker. And scribes played an extremely important role in the Sanhedrin because they were the ones that would examine the most difficult and subtle questions. And they could also teach. They could draft legal documents and contracts. And they even had a chance to add to the law if, if it led to clarity or wisdom um, that helped people understand it. So these were the writers. <clears throat> the question that the scribe asks, which law is the greatest law of all, is an iteration of a question commonly debated among rabbis in the temple. Rabbis would often debate about which of the commandments were the heaviest and most important and which ones were lighter and less important. And then they would try to prioritize them which isn't really a terrible idea at all because out of 613 different statutes of the law, knowing which one is more important is actually super helpful. And as the scribe is overhearing the previous conversations about resurrection and marriage, the power of God in scripture, he is drawn in by how well Jesus has answered and he's impressed. And he asks the question, which is the greatest law of all? And from 613, Jesus whittles it down to two, which ends up being one. And in his reply, we see that he's not just responding to the question of which is the heaviest and which is the lightest, but in his answer, he is displaying the very core and the heart and the purpose of the law the double law of love. And it begins with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word Shema means to listen and it is the most central statement in all of scripture according to later Jewish tradition. It stressed the absolute unacceptability of worshiping other gods. God is one Lord. He alone is Lord which doesn't mean that there are no other gods, but instead that there is no other God in all creation, in all time, that is like this God, the God of Israel. There is no God like him who rescues his people from slavery into freedom and liberation. There's no God that sides with the poor and the oppressed. And there's no God like him that adopts you into a family marked by love. None. God alone is one Lord. And Jesus situates his reply to the greatest commandment by starting off with what is at the very core of Judaism. Because Jesus has come to Jerusalem and to the temple not to start a new religion, but rather he, you, you can see him situating himself and his teaching as a fulfillment of the central prayer and hope of Judaism. The Shema and Jesus further reply to the question comes straight from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 and happens just after the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites the second time around. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. 
Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands and bind them to your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This command to listen, to love God with everything they are, was supposed to be everywhere. It's impressed upon your children. It's written on your door frame. It's tied around your finger. It's talked about when you sit at home and it's talked about when you're going along the road, when you lie down and when you got up and it is to always be on your heart. It's the oldest fixed daily prayer recited morning and night since ancient times. And the rhythm to repeat this and have it at the front every day and every night kept it as central. So back to the question, which one is the greatest? And I love Jesus' answer because this guy wants one. He wants the heaviest one, the greatest one. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love him with all your soul, love him with all your mind, and love him with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no law is greater than these laws. He wants one, but Jesus gives him two. Now, as I was studying this text and I let this sort of roll around in my uh, heart and mind this week, um, it's, it's a rather familiar text. And I, I just came up with this really dorky illustration that kept, you know, so I'll share it with you. But I had this picture. It, it came right away. I had this picture that came to my mind of me and Jesus on a road trip. And I'm driving, and he's in the passenger seat, and we're having a good time, and I turn to him, and I'm like, do you want to go to the gas station? And he's like, obviously. And then we get into the gas station, and I, I'm buying, right? I mean, if it's Jesus, it's like, hey, <laughs> I got this one. So I, but I tell Jesus, because you know I'm reasonable, that you can only get one thing. And he goes this way and I go that way because no one ever wants the same snack at a gas station. And I see him come around the corner and he's got Funyuns and a Dr. Pepper. And I'm like, Jesus, that's two. But then I'm like, well, it's kind of one because you got a salty snack and a drink and they go together and you can't really separate them. So I'm like, all right, fine, that's one. I'm like, I mean, what would you do? Just for fun, if, if, Jesus, if you told Jesus he could only have one thing and he comes around the corner with two. Are, are you gonna tell him to put one back? It's like Funyuns and Dr. Pepper or vitamin water and the Lunchable or Cheetos and Chewy Spree or gummy bears or one of those hot dogs on the roller. It's like you can't separate these things. And maybe, may, I mean, just... Just for fun, maybe there's a combination that you're thinking of that just goes together. Peanut butter and jelly, Batman and Robin. Like, you can't do one without the other. And now I am in complete awareness that this is a super dorky illustration. But that is what I picture Jesus is saying here. You want me to pick the greatest? You want me to pick one? Here it is, and it goes together because you can't do one without the other. 
You don't just love God with an undivided heart and then leave it at that and not love your neighbor or yourself. It's just, it's not how this thing works. Jesus has only asked for the first and greatest, but the second part of it is so critical to his entire mission that he decides to add it anyway. He does not see these two things as separate. He puts them together, and this is a double law of love, to love God with all you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it has such a beautiful simplicity to it all. And although it's simple and clear, it, it is not easy. It's very challenging. And this wholehearted, this full embodied love that we have for God finds its expression in our love for other people. And that matches and is consistent with the love that we have for ourselves. As we have been spending this last season of time over the winter talking about the practice of Sabbath and the invitation to cease and to stop, it finds its way interestingly into this passage and I think it can actually help us with a path forward in this simple yet challenging way to live and love. The practice of Sabbath is introduced in Exodus and the giving of the Ten Commandments. God brought his people out of Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh and under the oppression of slavery where they were never allowed to stop. And he gives his people a way to live. Ten commandments are words to live by that really tease out what Jesus is leaning into in his response to the scribe. God is wanting to remind his people that he is the one that brought them out of slavery and there is no one like him. And so he lays out these first three commandments, all having to do with the relationship with God. No other gods before him, no images, because he is jealous and he wants our full, undivided devotion, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength, and not misuse his name. These first three are, deal with our relationship with God. And the last six have to do with our relationship with other people, honoring parents no murdering, no committing adultery, no stealing, no lying against your neighbor, and no coveting your neighbor's possessions. And right in between the first three, which is our relationship with God, and the last six, our relationship with others, is the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath. Which is really fascinating. It has been thought that the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath, is this hinge point or this bridge between our relationship with God as primary and our relationship with others. And this bridge that links the two together and the bridge where we stop and remember who God is, the true God of Israel who is like no other God, a God who does not force us into a life of ceaseless production and hurry, but invites us instead to stop us our household, our friends, our neighbors, to stop work. Everyone from the first to the last gets a chance to stop in the fourth commandment. And this rhythm of stopping reminds us of the God who loves us. Our ability to stop gives us the potential to live into this incredible and greatest commandment. It gives us the margin to remember God and to rhythmically reorder our life and our love for God with all of our heart, 
all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And it gives us this opportunity to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we rest and when we stop, we are actively participating in loving God and loving others and loving ourselves. Back to Mark 12, verse 32 and 33. Then the scribe answered Jesus, teacher, what you say is right. There is one God, there are no other gods. Love God with all your heart, love him with all your understanding, love him with all your strength. That is much better than to burn offerings and make sacrifices. Love your neighbor as yourself. I did, I copy and pasted this again. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. That is better than any of these offerings and sacrifices. And this scribe who knew the law back to front, who spent his career moving it from mouth to paper, is trained to see the tiniest flaw or error. And he says out loud what I think we all need to hear, me included, is that if, to, if, if these two things are true, then the other 611 statutes of the law matter less. To love God with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is better than the other things. And sometimes we make our spiritual life so complicated. We overcomplicate it to the way where we we don't even understand who God is or we wanna bounce out or whatever it is or we have made it so much pressure. But Jesus says, these are the two things that rise to the top, these are the greatest. And the statement made by the scribe is a total surprise because he responds that this declaration, that this two-part double law of love is actually better than any of the offerings and sacrifices. And we remember where he's standing because he's making this comment while standing in the middle of the temple. Surrounded by offerings and sacrifices. So this is one of the main reasons the temple at this point even exists. And one commentary goes as far as saying, if these commandments are primary ones, if that is what worshiping, loving, and serving God is all about, then all the temple stands for, the daily, weekly, and annual round of sacrifices and offerings is virtually unnecessary. And Jesus offers the scribe the breathtaking words to his wise response. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And we see here, finally, at the end of this chapter, after a string of debates, that this is not a debate. There's no tricking or cornering. There was an attraction and an approving of how Jesus answered questions that started this whole conversation off. A genuine curiosity and openness. And although the scribe was trained to locate the minutia of the details of the law, he ended up at a place of deeper revelation, not just of the law, but of Jesus and his kingdom. That the summation of a loving relationship with God is not limited to the temple. In fact, 
the temple, the place where God dwells, exists outside of those walls. And beautifully as we know it, it exists in each one of us. As we are the ones in whom Jesus dwells and delights. And again, when asked to decide the greatest commandment, he boils the whole thing down to this double law of love. Love of God and love of neighbor. And like the gas station snacks, Jesus grabs two things and he puts them together and he says there's no greater command than these. So what does that mean for us today? The scripture that Tom had last year, you do not know the scripture or the power of God. I really longed for these words to jump off the page this week. And I found them to be um, equally as clarifying as I was comforted by them. Because when it all shakes out, when we talk about what really matters, and you can only hang on a few things while the rest of the world is getting a little wild and there are earthquakes and there's war in the world and we are even faced with poverty and brokenness and oppression. Like what, like where do we put our feet? What, what really matters at the end of the day? And I think God is so kind that he puts, he gives us this scripture and Jesus clarifies it for us once again. What really matters is that we fall in love, undivided to this incredible God who is like no other God with everything that we are. And that we make choices to actually love our own self out of which flows this love of neighbor. And if we walk out of here today with, some, with the renewed commitment to those things, you guys, we're gonna be fine. And these days, two things is about all I can handle right now. <laughs> like, two things. That feels good. Let's, it's not that the other 611 didn't matter, but two things are best. And when you don't know where to put your feet, pick the ones that Jesus says, these two are the greatest. And I wonder if practicing Sabbath, even for a moment around our table or a silent car ride on the way home where we can reorient our heart or even a car ride, <clears throat> however you are wired, a car ride where you're blasting your favorite Beach Boys tune <clears throat> and choosing to situate ourselves under this rule and reign of a God who is like no other, who does not need ceaseless production from you, you actually cannot add any more value to yourself by what you do or how you are. Reminding ourselves of the God who is like this might give us a place to land our feet as we walk out this really simple, two things, double law of love, yet challenging way of Jesus. In the last line of this passage, after the scribe drops his little temple statement, it says, after that, everyone feared to ask him any more questions. 
And as we start wrapping up chapter 12 over the next few weeks, the tables are turning and nobody's asking Jesus any more questions. And now Jesus is starting to ask the questions. It's a beautiful swap over here at the, towards the end of this chapter. Because at this point, after what they just watched go on between these two people, a conversation of love, no one wants to ask him anything. So as we, as we wrap up here, um, a lot of times we sing a response and so I'm gonna invite the band up and we can stand together and I wanna, I wanna pray for us and we're gonna sing together. Um, so feel, feel free to, to stand as we sort of enter into a, a response. And sometimes I think this, pa- this particular passage offers, can offer us a space for self-reflection. Um, and maybe there's a part of the passage that stood out to you and maybe you struggle to live all those commands as we all probably do. And maybe it's in your love for God in an undivided heart or maybe it's challenging you for, for you to love other people. Maybe it's just one person <laughs> that's a challenge for you. Or maybe we just need to start with, do you love yourself? In our radical commitment to spiritual formation, we deeply believe in the Holy Spirit's participation to both awaken and complete this work of God in us. This is different than self-help in that this is trust in God. Trust in a God who is like no other, who looks exactly like Jesus who is crazy about you and is the author and initiator of love. That is who we look towards to live all this crazy life, this beautiful way of love that Jesus has set before us. And the song that we're gonna sing together is I Speak Jesus, whether you're familiar with it or not. And I, I, whenever I hear this song, I think it's a prayer of intercession. So, as a response to this beautiful spot of scripture, we get the chance to sing out speaking the name of Jesus over hearts and minds. And so is, if there is someone that comes to your mind, sing this song on their behalf. That is what intercession is. If there's somebody that you see from across the room, sing this song on their behalf and speak the name of Jesus over them. That is how we love God and love others or pray for Todd or the local mission partners out here and speak the name of Jesus in a way of love as a response to this beautiful God who is like no other God.